0: Welcome to The Great Awakening. I'm your host, Josh Dawes. My guest today is Megan Basham. She is a reporter for The Daily Wire, where she has uh, done a lot of great work reporting on um, different stories within evangelical circles. Uh, She's done some reporting on the Southern Baptist Convention and had a great piece earlier this year on um, the, let's say, questionable relationship between Francis Collins and Um, evangelical leaders and and how he used those relationships to push uh, COVID uh, messaging uh, into churches, into um, evangelical circles. So she's done just phenomenal work. Um, But recently, she has been uh, doing some investigation into uh, different organizations that are trying to push um, LGBT uh, affirming theology into evangelical churches. And so um, kind of as a part two to the last episode with Rosaria Butterfield, um, I wanted to have her on um, to kind of talk about the organizations, you know, Rosaria talk, talked about the five lies that the, the church is believing and that and why those are lies and and harmful. And so I wanted to have Megan on to kind of do the flip side of that and talk about the organizations that are pushing these lies in to the church. So if you haven't listened to the, that, that first episode, uh, you don't, I don't think you need to, to, to appreciate this episode, but you definitely do want to go back and listen to the, my episode with Rosaria. Um, and then, um, you know, this one I think is, uh, pairs really well with that. So it's a great conversation. I think you're going to find it helpful. So let's jump right into my conversation with Megan. Hey Megan, thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here and finally see your face, sort of in person.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. I've been looking forward to uh, having you on the podcast for a while, and I, I think we got the, the right topic to, to bring you on to talk about.
1: Yeah, this is a, um, a receipt-filled topic, so...
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I so just to set up, um, the last episode I had uh, Rosaria Butterfield on to talk about um, her new book, The Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. And she kind of walked through the the lies and talked about why they're false and kind of where they're showing up in the church. And we, uh, we talked about the unconditional conference that was recently held at Andy Stanley's church and um, just the problems with that conference. And so I wanted to have you on because I know you've been doing some research into like the org, uh, you know, organizations, um, kind of pushing a lot of these lies, and so I thought this would be kind of a good, kind of two-part episode to kind of really unpack what's happening, um, because I, I don't think a lot of people are aware of how hard a lot of these lies are being pushed within mm-hmm. the church. Um, you know, but before we jump into that, um, yeah, I thought you know, as I had scheduled you and then Derek Webb um, <laughs> of Cadman's Call and Deconstructing Fame. Uh, tweeted some things out that I thought, oh, that's a great intro to what we're going to talk about. Can you can you tell us who Derek Webb is and what he's been up to?
1: Yeah, So Derek Webb um, is and was for a while, but now he's back again, apparently as the lead singer of Cademan's Call. Um, and, you know, it's funny because this was a little bit after my time. I, I I didn't I didn't become a Christian when Cademan's Call was really big. I, so I didn't really track them when they were, you know, huge in the CCM world. Uh, I was just kind of peripherally, of, you know, aware of them. I think my husband was a fan. Um, but I learned that a lot of people like their music. Um, and, you know, those lyrics meant a lot to them. And I actually had sort of a similar experience with Jennifer Knapp, that when I became a Christian, mm. I just loved her music and it was really impactful for me. And, you know, so it's devastating to see these people who, as you became a believer and you really connected with those lyrics and their music, that they totally walk away and you... See now, okay. The, if they were, you know, my personal belief is they were always apostate, but they were mm-hmm. not believers ever. And so now that is coming out. And um, so he decided to dress up in a you know woman's frock to go to the Dove Awards, um, which is of course the big CCM uh version of the Grammys, and um did kind of this self-glorifying post on his social media account saying, Here's why I'm doing it, I'm standing with them because. You're not really an ally if you're not where the rocks get thrown or something. I can't remember. It was some sort of drivel. And uh, basically saying, so this is why I'm wearing a dress and taking a drag queen named Flamey Grant with me to the Dove Awards. And what's shocking to me is that they let him in like this. I I actually thought, um, you know, and this is not an intentional plug for Daily Wire or where I work, but I thought Matt Walsh did a good commentary on this, that you do not have to let every debased thing into your house in the name of Christian love and hospitality. And that is what the Dove Awards did. I mean, I I think he should have been turned away at the door and said, no, we're not going to let you come in here and make a spectacle of um, our ceremony. And that is what they did. And, you know, it's been interesting to see some of the commentary since then. Um, And I think I can talk about this because he sort of carried out this conversation publicly yesterday, but I was texting a little bit with John Cooper of Skillet. And he had called out, um, I think it was Julie Roys, who's an independent journalist, who was describing this person with um, this flamey grant with she, her pronouns, even though this is a man. And this is ostensibly a Christian publication, Julie Roys' The Roys Report. And her defense was was that we have to be neutral when we cover the news. Um And that was sort of shocking to me. And if you've heard that before, that's also something that's been public from Julie Roy's before when someone has said, why are you guys using these trans pronouns? Her explanation has been, well, the Associated Press style guide uh, advises that. And so we follow it. Um, And this is the kind of thing I think that you're seeing in Christian culture where this accommodation has been happening everywhere. And you talked about that, like you said, a little bit with Rosaria. And part of what I've been working on is to say, this is not an accident. There's a lot of people who are sort of going along with the flow, but there is also a huge machine behind the scenes that is creating opportunities for this kind of accommodation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what was so, I don't know, not shocking because I think award shows have, you know, since the seventies secular award shows have been like political, right. um, You know, platforms and you know, Marlon Brando, you know, having a you know Native American woman accept his Oscar for I think Godfather. But it's not something we've seen a ton of at the Dove Awards in the past. And um I, I think it's it's just more evidence of um what Aaron Wren talks about and that that we've shifted into negative world. Whereas it used to be the secular world was content to kind of leave the Dove Awards alone, let it, you know, they can do their thing. We've got our thing and now it seems like there's there's this very intentional push to in infiltrate our spaces um and uh with an agenda and and um, you know I think that's that's something a lot of Christians uh needs to be aware of um so what can you can you, you know talk about you know the research you've done into this
1: yeah and really quick I just want to add too for maybe some of your older listeners or for people who didn't really track CCM either it's easy to go, okay, so Cademans call it some kind of, you know, a slightly more alternative or maybe, I, I don't know if edgy is the right word, but they might have been considered a more sort of hip alternative Christian band versus Amy Grant. And you're like, ironically, this drag queen was named Flammy Grant, but you want to make the point that this is not fringe now in contemporary Christian music. Amy Grant now is also affirming she hosted her niece's mm-hmm. same-sex, same-sex wedding at her home and has made it very clear that, well, I just believe that, you know, Jesus commands us to love. And so I'm loving. And so, I mean, that's how mainstream it is now. Um, and so when you look at this, some of the research I did, and when I talk about this, I think it's important to know, I'm giving you one example. I could give you many examples, but, um, one that I have picked out that, you know, I've been doing some reporting on is a group called the Arcus Foundation. And, um, and again, as I'm talking about it, keep in mind, this is not the only one. There's a lot of examples like this. So uh, starting back in about 2000, John Stryker, um, he's a, the son of he's the gay son of a billionaire founder of this medical supply company. And he um, when he inher- when his dad died and he inherited his company, one of the things he wanted to do with this multibillion dollar Striker company was um, start a foundation specifically to push LGBTQ rights. That's what they would say. I wouldn't define it that way, but that's the language they would use. Um, And what was interesting is that, you know, this guy is not a Christian. He had no interest in the Christian world. So this was about 2000. Well, in 2013, a lot of the things he'd been funding kept running into failure. We saw things like Proposition 8 in California, where even California, as liberal as it is, when it was on the ballot, it was rejected. Um, And so as I was tracking it, you saw some reporting from that time when it was maybe a little less uh, or a little, yeah, a little less covert, I would say. So in 2013, a philanthropy magazine, which again is another secular, you know, secular publication said, the Stryker Foundation, the Arcus Foundation and John Stryker have realized that they keep having problems getting these initiatives and, you know, these agenda items across the finish line. And the reason is um, religious Americans. And so they were going to need to go to, you know, the, the source of where this ideology was coming from, by which they meant Christianity and by which they meant churches. So, starting in about 2015, they started funneling money into. Um, at that time, I think his focus was heavily on the United Methodist Church. So, if you look at just one um, organization associated with United United Methodist Church, it's called Reconciling Ministries Network. And if you read its aims, it is to train people at all levels of the UMC to go in and advocate. They would say for full LGBTQ inclusion in the church. And he poured millions of dollars into that effort. And we can see how uh, successful it was. I mean, we just saw a schism in the UMC right now. Um, Obviously, you know, there are a lot of global churches that are pulling away from that. But the American churches have largely been going away with that. And you're seeing a lot of Methodist churches going, what do we do? Are we going to depart from this? And a lot of them are, and they're associating with African churches now. And I'm not Methodist, so if you're Methodist and I'm screwing up the hierarchical organization of your church, I apologize. But here's the thing to know is that a lot of money went into this effort from a totally secular organization that was not Methodist, was not Christian, was just pouring money into this. And he did the same thing with Catholic organizations. Um, And when you say this, again, you know these are not truly Orthodox Catholic Orthodox. Methodist. These are sort of these parachurch, quote unquote, ministries. And so then a few years ago, I started noticing that um, Arcus was pouring money into evangelical organizations as well. Um, and it's funny as you watch how people have shifted. At first, they, they refuse to be pinned down on where they stand. And then I think there comes a tipping point with somebody like a David Gushy where they're gonna put a shine of respectability, of intellectual and biblical respectability on this view. And those are the guys that are getting funded and their organizations are getting funded by this. So I think it was, I need to check my notes, but I wanna say it was around maybe 2016, a guy named Matthew Vines, who was a Harvard dropout, had a video go viral. where he made the argument that, hey, I grew up as an evangelical and conservative evangelical churches, and I think their theology is wrong, that homosexuality is not a sin, that the verses that condemn homosexuality and say that it is immoral, those were referring to rape or orgies. It's not referring to loving relationships between two people of the same sex who are committed to one another. Um, And so at that point, the Arcus Foundation started putting a lot of money into his project, which is called the uh, Reformation Project. And if you go on their website, they are very out and proud about what their purpose is. And their purpose is, they say, to come into conservative evangelical organizations and churches and transform their theology on sexuality, marriage, and gender. So they really don't hide that at all. And I'll let you ask me another question before I go into the next part, but what they do is um, they then partner with less overt groups like um, Embracing the Journey, which has been connected with Andy mm-hmm. Stanley's church and this um, big conference that he just put on. So you kind of have to see that the flow of money goes from a huge secular foundation to an openly affirming organization that says we're evangelical, but we're openly affirming. And then it goes to this covert yeah, we're not really sure what this group is and they have them in as speakers, they partner with them, they promote them, and then those groups go into names you know and recognize and feel comfortable with like North Point Church, like Saddleback Church. So that's kind of how this all moves mm. into the church.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the that's the the connection that I think I don't think it's a surprise that there are groups that are openly, you know, promoting this this new affirming theology. Uh, you know, we've seen that over the years. And you see, you know, big departures from, you know, you know, either deconstructions or kind of completely walking a gin hat maker, you know, that kind of stuff is not surprising. I think what is hard for people to swallow hard for people to understand is that those those covert organizations that this is not um, that aren't wearing that that agenda on their sleeve, but have those connections. Right. Can you yeah, unpack that?
1: Well, yeah. And that's, what's been interesting to me is to go, sometimes when you talk about this stuff, people who you know are just average people in the pews, they know Rick Warren. They like Saddleback. They trust these organizations. They certainly trust, I mean, Andy Stanley, that's the son of Charles Stanley. So I think it got to such a tipping point that Suddenly, by the time people wake up and recognize it, it has gone so far down the road that it's astonishing to them to find out who some of these people are that are involved with these churches and these ministries. Um, So, you know, to give you an example of this embracing the journey, they were established with the help, both the financial and consulting help of North Point. This couple goes to North Point and they had... um, They apparently in 2001, their son came out as gay and they talk about in their book, their journey to accepting him. And they're very dicey on, um, in this particular book, like they will say, we don't take a position on affirming or not affirming. We're just, you know, we're just trying to help parents of these kinds of kids, um, see how to embrace them and love them and show them the love of Christ. And on the surface, that sounds good. And so you don't see how insidious it is. And part of what's so insidious about it is you're taking people in a terrible amount of pain and a moment where they are really vulnerable and you're promising them that, hey, there is a way to maintain this relationship with a child who may very well be telling you, I am not going to you know, be your son or your daughter. I'm going to disown you if you don't affirm this part of my life and this desire that I have to sin. So they're doing that under the auspices of we're just teaching you to show love. But then if you go and look at the other organizations that they're connected to, those organizations are openly affirming to the point that like the Reformation uh, Project has a confidential only in person. I'm assuming so that you know video files can't get out, audio files can't get out of a parents and process program. And so, one, it trains people like this, this Embracing the Journey couple um, that go to North Point and are affiliated with Nor- North Point um, how to bring parents along and how to show the love. But they are associated with an explicitly openly affirming ministry saying our purpose is to get churches to change their theology. And then on top of that, this was the one that I think really shook me when I found this program called Pastors in Process. It is another confidential program that says, if you are a pastor of a non-affirming church, meaning a biblically sound Orthodox church, um, and you want to move the conversation forward on getting your congregation to be LGBTQ affirming, this program is for you. We'll, we'll show you the steps to take. And so they do this all confidentially. So when you ask about these things, um, your Andy Stanleys or your Rick Warrens won't answer Mm -hmm. these questions. Um, and just to dive a little bit into what happened with Saddleback, you know, they also had some of these reformation project partners working one as a pastor at Saddleback, two ministry leaders were starting these embracing the journey. Um, there's, there's two, I'm not sure what the difference is, but I think they said three small groups, one Bible study. So I don't know what the difference is as far as what was a small group and what was a Bible study, but they had at least multiple groups going on there. And when it came out, Saddleback just took it all down. And so there's been no explanation of, well, gosh, how did these people get into your church? Is this pastor still on staff? Are you still allowing these two openly affirming ministry leaders to conduct Bible studies? What's happening there? So there's the secrecy about it. Um, So I don't know if that answers your question, but basically they come in by preying on people in very vulnerable moments. Um, and I think you could also say that they do that with young people too, with youth, maybe in their twenties and their teens. They will say, "We are not going to take a position on this because we want to love them. So we're not going to, you know, teach traditional biblical sexuality. We're just going to, um, we're just going to teach them that we love them, that God loves them." and we're going to show them hospitality and it's funny because their language and my language is sounding vague because when you read it it is extremely vague Mm -hmm. like what do they believe so this plausible deniability is always there and they will say things like basically jesus's highest command is to love so we're just really focusing on that
0: yeah well and that and and that kind of gets back to how i think a lot of this came to light um I think it was Ryan Visconti. I'm, yes. Ap- apologies if I'm not saying uh, your name right, Ryan. But he, I think it was um, earlier this year, um, released a, a, a thread about what uh, what had been going on with with Andy Stanley, and um, included some clips from uh, I think last year's Drive Conference where Andy talks about how um, how to nudge your church in a direction. You don't want to just blow it up. You know by making a big announcement and he he wasn't even talking about you know this particular issue he was just talking in general about how you move your church in a direction that it may not be ready to move and then so Ryan was kind of connecting the dots and you know revealed some personal conversations um you know things with Andy that were very concerning and it just it just looks like that's that's obviously the playbook that is being run there that that they're right. there're these baby steps to getting um, you know, moving the church in that direction. And, and one of the things that, um, was really troubling to me was, um, in reading Debbie Causey's book, um, which, uh, she's the head of the care ministries at North point, um, who also had a son, uh, come out as gay in that she talks and again in real cagey language that doesn't, you know, isn't very, uh, specific,
1: it's so hard talk, to pin down. I know <laughs> it's so hard to
0: pin down. But in that, she she actually says that she prays for uh, church leaders to have children uh, c- to come out because that is the thing that most moves the needle towards uh, you know acceptance. And and that was just like heartbreaking. You know, you're not you're you just to think that you know these the this is the head of care ministry. So when you have those. Struggles in your family if you have a child who is dealing with you know gender dysphoria or anything this is who you're bringing them to and just the 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 advice that they're getting to affirm you know to use the pronouns and it's just it's so because it's care it's all done so secretly and so um, behind closed doors um because if we revealed you know our position to the wider church then Obviously, there's going to be some pushback.
1: Well, and I think to me, that's what's so fascinating is that I it, it probably takes some time, you know, as they are funding different organizations and people are coming in with different um, lines of attack that there definitely seems to have been a very effective road here in preying on parents who are in pain over children. I mean, these are Christian parents who these kids oftentimes grew up in Christian homes. So you can imagine how difficult it is for these parents to be going through this situation. And so certainly you wanna offer ministries and you wanna offer counseling and help to help them walk through it. But these are the people who are the wolves who have figured out like, oh, these are some lame sheep. These are sheep who are struggling, they are in pain, they are easy to pick off. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that is what we're seeing happening here and, you know, when you go and look at all these personalities, um, the the Habels who were the couple at, at um, Saddleback, I mean, they're very open saying that we're looking for conservative parents to change their mind. And I think the thinking is that if you get to these conservative parents and they put the pressure on the pastors or other people in their churches, then that is what, like you said, baby steps shifts the church in that direction. So there has been a very deliberate effort to target that group specifically. Um, And that just breaks my heart because one, I, I can't imagine the pain of being in that situation. I know parents who have been, and you look at, you know, passages of scripture where you go, I never really understood what Jesus meant when he said, you may have to leave father, mother, child to follow me how painful that would be. And Mm -hmm. I think, and we may be a generation, the first time in many years where we see this in a very visceral way that um, in the West, in the United States, that I may have to be willing to be disowned by my child to continue to follow. And so these are the people who are saying, oh no, no, you don't have to do that. You can still love your child, you can affirm their sin, or even just say, let's agree to disagree. Because I think that's another tactic that you will see both the Embracing the Journey group use, you will see. Reformation Project doesn't do that. Reformation Reformation Project will straight up say, you have to be affirming to be a biblical church. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, do you think they're going to partner with and embracing the journey if they're not on board <laughs> with their aims? They're not. They're only going to choose to partner with people who are helping further their aims. No. Um, but yeah, so embracing the journey will very much say like, well, we are not going to draw a line in the sand on this. Churches can agree to disagree. Um, but when you read their book, they talk about affirming quote unquote pastors and teachers as true Christians. So, mm-hmm. I mean, their, their position is clear, even if they're like, we're not openly saying we're LGBTQ affirming, but we're going to tell you that all of these pastors that say that they are, that they are sound pastors and you should go to them for resources. And all of the books we're going to recommend are all LGBTQ affirming. So they're steering people toward that material. And so that's kind of how this process is working too. Um, And one more thing about this, (laughs) what's funny is then when these pastors get asked and you have seen this with Andy Stanley, they will avoid answering the question. And I read this phenomenal interview in May with um, a, a British journalist interviewing Rick Warren. And he did eventually say that same sex relationships are not God's best. But she had to come at him four different times to get him to answer the question, should a church split over this issue of blessing same-sex unions? And I'm telling you, four times she had to ask him and he wouldn't answer. This should be a no-brainer. This should be a very easy question. And not only that, but he was very reticent to say, and in fact, he never did in the interview say, homosexuality, yes, it is sin. Mm -hmm. And This this is one of the sins that if you continue in it unrepentant, it will keep you out of the kingdom of heaven.
0: Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I like to call speaking to be misunderstood. Right. It's they, Rick does this, Andy Stanley does this, where you will say on the platform, something that can be taken both ways, like to the affirming crowd, it can sound like, wow, this is a, a loving and affirming church, but technically didn't say anything explicit. So when the conservatives had raised, you know, eyebrows and, you know, ask questions about it like, no, 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 if you're careful, I didn't say what you think you heard me say, well, you know, which always is, is, a plausible is, deniability. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so slippery and, and deceptive. Um, what, a, what, what should the average Christian is this, this maybe the small church pastor what should you know they be looking out for to to kind of tell if you know these kind of influences are coming into their church
1: well you know one of the big things as i was going through this that just struck me was the level of effort that these organizations again very well funded organizations but the level of effort that they are putting into training their people um like if you go through the reformation projects various um I mean, classes and training is really the only way to describe it. But they will say, hey, if you sign up for this particular program, we are going to teach you how to go into these churches and argue for um, LGBTQ affirmation and theology. Um, you will have to, I'd have to look at my list, but it was literally like you will meet once a week. You will read 12 to 15 hours of material and be ready to discuss this with your fellow students. This program would go on for several months. And I think it culminates with an in-person meeting of some sort of seminar. So essentially what you have is really an advanced college class on indoctrinating people in this ideology and teaching them how to go out and indoctrinate others. And then you look at what's happening on the other side where we're going, we don't even really want to talk about this. We're just going to tell you that, look, we're we know our church is good. We know that you all understand that this is sin. So if we talk about it, it will maybe be once a year. We're not going to get into it in our youth ministries very much, um, except in just the most general terms. So not just kids, not just teens and young people, but you have adults who are in no way prepared to deal with the just avalanche of theological distortion and jargon that comes at them. So when it does come at them, I think people are left very flat-footed because, frankly, and even though you know, you've know you seen some of these pastors walk back, there was an initial, we don't need to shout about this. Let's not shout about it. We'll just whisper. Let's not make a huge issue out of it because we want to be welcoming. We want to you know, be able to love on these people. We don't want them to feel that they're not welcomed here. So they're not talking about it. In the meantime, you've got an army of people going through college level courses to come into your churches and advocate for it. So, you know, that's a big thing that I would tell pastors that I'm like, look, you may have wanted to avoid this subject. You cannot avoid it any longer. Um, It is coming to your church, no matter how conservative or close knit or solid you think it is, they're coming to your church. And, um, and I would say watch for in particular, these ministries that are being put in place to minister to um, parents of these kids, because that is where I've just seen a lot of push. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, I think in, in youth ministries as well, I've also seen a lot of people say we were shocked to find out that um, some of these youth leaders that we didn't vet very well, because they don't want to ask specific potentially offensive questions. They don't want to seem like they're uh, culture warriors. So they don't ask And then they're a little shocked to find out that the kids that, you know, when they get together on Wednesday night, the youth leaders who are 20 something college kids themselves are inculcating these kids in this and nobody's challenging it. And they didn't even know what was going on. So by the time the parents hear about it, you know, these kids are well down the road of arguing with their parents going, no, 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 you guys just don't really understand the theology. You don't understand that um, the Greek was misinterpreted there or that that's not what Paul was talking about. So again, the parents are caught totally flat footed by the time that this hits them.
0: Yeah and that that's what um you know part of uh, the stuff that came out about Andy earlier this year was a clip where he was talking about how his his gay LGBT volunteers were the best volunteers they you know were the ones you could count on they're going to show up they're going to be excited to be there and in my exchanges with Andy that's that's I I told him like Andy they are there it's very intentional for them to be there and to be seen. That's what infiltrators do. (laughs)
1: uh,
0: Right. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, I'm sure there's some people who are deceived and, you know, I don't, you know, want to throw everyone into the espionage bucket, but there are people that are very intentional about being seen, being out in front because that normalizes it. And as long as you have, a church where you're you've decided we're just going to agree to disagree. This is something that faithful Christians can disagree over. You're gonna you're setting up um, you're priming the pump for people to move in that direction because it's easier. Right. It's just easier to believe that. And so if your kid comes out or you're struggling and you're trying to be celibate and and fight this this indwelling sin pattern you know, and there's this other group in your, in your church that is fully embracing it. Well, after a while that just wears you down and you're like, you know what, that's an easier life. I want that.
1: Right. Or not talking about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it's, it's so, it's so, um, I don't know, in cities, yes.
1: but and I do think, you know, you want to be careful to go, look, yes, these things are going on behind the scenes. But once these dominoes start falling, it's not like you're like out on the street like Tammany Hall handing out paychecks to people as they go into church. Hey, push this as mm. you walk in. That doesn't necessarily you already have the cultural movement going that way. And yes, you have these organizations also doing that. So I think you have a lot of fronts happening at once. You have people who are just drifting with the culture. You have people who, may or may not have known that they've come across people who yeah were deliberately trained to do this and so there's a lot of things happening at once and you know part of what bothered me um you brought up the ryan visconti explosive thread and i admire him so much for doing that because nobody else was willing to talk about it it had been whispered about with north point and stanley um he kind of came out and said look i had this conversation i was there with multiple other people and a couple of other pastors fulfilling, I would say, you know, the Matthew mandated, we need two or three witnesses. It wasn't just Ryan Visconti who said, Andy Stanley said these things that very clearly opened the door to being gay affirming, including saying that, um, hey, if if his theology is going to hurt people, then maybe his theology is wrong, saying that he didn't know if he might not in the future be willing to officiate a same sex wedding, like if it was a family member or something. Um and so two other pastors came forward and said yeah he did say that we were there too. Um mm-hmm. and you know I don't want to throw anyone under the bus but when I when I started working on a story for it Ryan was you know he had obviously made his statements very publicly the two guys who backed him did as well but when I went to them and said can I talk to you a little bit about what you saw at this meeting what you heard because sometimes you know people remember different things and you want to get the most complete picture that you can. And both of them told me, oh gosh, we're not really comfortable getting involved with this. Now we're talking Mm -hmm. about Andy Stanley, who isn't just a mega church pastor. He puts out books teaching other pastors. He does, you know, national conference tours that are specifically designed for training pastors. So it was pretty relevant for people to know about this. And both of them said, yeah, we just really, you know, we don't feel great. We don't want to get into a controversy. And one of them said to me, I just don't want to get into a political issue. Mm. And that hit me because I went, how is this a political issue? I mean, I understand that, you know, there's policy being made on this. This is a vital issue for the church. And, you know, not just in the sense of, are we all going to be biblically faithful on this? But we have passages in the church In the bible in in jude in second peter that this is one of the markers of false teachers that we are told to look out for in both of those key passages about what will tell you if you're dealing with a false teacher false teachers who apologize for sexual immorality and who make compromises and accommodations for sexual immorality in the vein of sodom and gomorrah specifically mentioned in both of those passages that's a marker of a false teacher so I'm like, we're told to contend with that specifically. So I that was disappointing to me that, that this was thrown into a political bucket. And I think that that would be another thing that pastors, um, ministry leaders, um, you know, whether it's in the women's ministry, children's, whatever it is, be aware that this is being tagged as simply political. This is not a political issue. This is a church issue.
0: Yeah. And that, and that's really, I, my wife and I prayed, you know, extensively about whether or not I should step into this, given my history with North Point and, you know, relationship with Andy. And that was just the thing that I kept coming back to is like, if I'm not speaking on this, I'm kind of seeding that conversation to the discernment blogs that, you know, are one minute railing against something that's like, okay, that's not a big deal. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's making this seem like it's not a big deal. And it is a huge deal. And, and and so, you know, if you're listening and you're, you know, I would just encourage you step into these conversations because otherwise you may agree with what's being said. Um, but if you're not willing to say it and to say it in a kind way where your heart can be heard, um, you're abandoning that conversation to people that you probably don't want to be associated with. And you just need to step up and be like, you know what? Yes, there are other people that aren't my cup of tea that are saying the same thing. But listen to my heart. You know, I'm right. you you know me as a reasonable person. This is a serious issue. I don't care, you know, that other people you don't like the other people saying it, but I'm I'm stepping in. Um and, you know, I'm I am really grateful for Ryan uh for kicking this off because I know it has, it is, you know, in Texas with him, it has destroyed some relationships, long standing relationships with people. And um but I will say since I had that uh, conversation with Rosaria, I've gotten several messages from people who uh, attend North Point or work there that have thanked me for having her on and for having this conversation. Because it's like, yes, okay, it's finally um, started uh, a conversation within the staff that um, people have been afraid to talk about. Uh, there's been people that have been like, "Yep, that that seals it for for us. We're we're going to find a new church." So, I think you know the. Whatever you're afraid of happening um, by speaking out, it's not going to be bad as bad as you think, and you're going to help some people that are that are struggling with these things and and trying to figure out what to do.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, when I and when I talk about Rick Warren, for example, or Saddleback, I I am not saying I don't know what happened there, and that's part of the frustrating thing. What we know is that you know some of these some chapters of this embracing the journey that is an affirming ministry. Uh, were established there. We know that things disappeared off the website. We we know that there was a pastor who was involved with Reformation Project, who was a Saddleback pastor. And when all of these things disappeared, I think what's frustrating is if you had the church come forward and say, we didn't know, and boy, we were appalled that this found its way into our church, because I don't think you can blame churches that, you know, we know that wolves are going to try to come in So it is no mark on them that wolves are targeting your church. I think the problem is, is that maybe there is, I don't know if it's embarrassment or just reputational protection. So if it was just a mistake or if it was something that you just flew under the radar and you didn't realize it was happening, think about how much it would have meant for a church of Saddleback stature to come out and say, we didn't know this was going on. And now that we know we are addressing it, um, we don't agree with this theology. We don't agree with what was being taught in this ministry. I think that would have been such a witness for the world. Um, and it's funny because you always hear them say like, well, we want to protect our witness, so we won't talk about it. And I go, that, that's actually a shining witness to say, we are sticking by what the Bible says. And um, man, we've rooted that out. And you can feel that we are a faithful church that you can come to that is going to give you the truth. And I don't understand why these churches, in these cases where it happens, I mean, when I look at North Point, to me, there's no question that there's a deliberate effort happening there. Saddleback, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That could have just been an infiltration and maybe it's gone away and they've dealt with it internally. But I just, I really wish that they would talk about it because not just for their own sake, but for the other churches to see that you don't have to be embarrassed that you're targeted. Yeah. Because Jesus told us we would be targeted,
0: right? Yeah, um, my friend James Wood had a great um, piece, um, I guess about a year ago now, um, called "Sheeps." Uh, what is it? Oh, shoot! Sheep, wolves, and sheeps, fools, and goats—something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. But talking about the three diff- the three types of people you find in your congregation. And because the shepherds have been kind of asleep on the job, and we haven't been bold, uh, wolves have come in and are devouring the the fools. And the the, the sheep just want to be fed, and they're not being fed, and so they're becoming easy targets for the wolves. And um, you know, James talks about in that like we've got to our, our our pastors have to start stepping up and and making those clear distinctions. This is what this church teaches and discipling people. This is how. Yeah, you know, you should think through this. This is, you know, if this, you know, when this intersects with your life with a loved one, mm-hmm. uh, someone you know, um this is how you should think about it. And um and that's going to, you know, build up a, a kind of a a bulwark against these uh, infiltrating forces. Um Yeah.
1: I don't know. Any I mean, you know, we didn't even really get into revoice and I think mm-hmm. Rosaria covered some of that, but I would say that A lot of this is also reflected in, you know, what I've covered here is some somewhat Southern Baptist, non-denominational, but if you look at the PCA, they have been dealing with it in a different front. Um, You had these revoice voices that came forward and said, you know, we seek to be um, faithful with our sexuality, but we want to identify as gay Christians. And again, when you dug down into the specificity of what that meant, some of these books that were being recommended by very large pastors, um, well-known theologians, D.A. Carson, the Gospel Coalition, were recommending things from like Gregory Johnson. And then you go read some of Johnson's work, and he advocates for things like saying, I'm thinking it's Johnson. I need to check my chapter that I've been working on on this. But there were a number of of revoiced voices saying, well, we will have um, these spiritual friendships that are basically celibate marriages, but so everything that a marriage is except that we don't have sex. And that includes up to literally, they they will say, it well, it could include cuddling, holding hands, being affectionate. And so people don't want to ask questions about, well, what does that specifically mean mm-hmm. that, you know, what is a spiritual friendship thing that you're asking, or you're describing or you're advocating? And so I, I, I think a big message for this too, is in your desire (laughs) to show how loving you are, don't rush to sign on to things until you're very clear about what they are. And then also, once you're clear that it is not something that um, is biblical that you should have signed on to, don't be afraid to take your name off of it and say, hey, here's where I screwed up. We've seen Rosario do that. We've seen- okay, Beckett Cook. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Beckett Cook took his name off. I think it was Gregory Johnson's book saying, I, I cannot endorse this anymore. Mm-hmm. And yet you have not seen some of these, you know, very big pastoral theological voices do the same thing. And I really wish they would have. And I think for the same thing, like we saw with Saddleback, you know, maybe there's an embarrassment there and they just kind of want it to go away. And I just think it'd be so much better if they said, man, I screwed up there. I didn't really hear the warning bells that some people were sounding and I should have. And, um, you know, now that I see the fruit that this has born and where this has gone down the track and maybe Craig Johnson or some of these other people, Grant Hartley have been a little clearer about what they meant by some of these terms. I can no longer endorse that. I really think it would have been great if they would have done some things like that. Um, and then maybe my last big point would be, I see so much emotional manipulation and guilting around this issue. There's a constant drumbeat of, well, the church, the way the church has hurt LGBT people we have to now be really go out of our way to show how loving they are I'm not discounting that people have been hurt and I'm not discounting that every effort to um, address same-sex desires and gender dysphoria has always been gone gone honoring or not hurtful but I also think that this is used as a cudgel to try to find a way to allow this stuff into the church and I think you saw that with revoice you saw well, you hurt us. And so now to make up for the pain that you caused us, you have to start allowing these unbiblical ideas into your church because that will show that you care for us and don't want to harm us anymore. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, again and again, I, I just see people sort of falling for that emotional manipulation and th- that's where the wisest serpents innocent as doves. I'm like, don't forget the wisest serpents part when, when you're being gaslit, acknowledge it or say, you know, yeah, I feel terrible that you were hurt in these past ways that doesn't mean I'm going to allow you to, you know, bring in these ideas that contradict what God has said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'd be curious if you've done any research into this, but I, I suspect that we're just accepting that, that kind of framing um, without, I don't know, verification. Like it, every church I've ever been a part of it would have, you know, been thrilled if a, a gay couple or a gay person started coming to their church to hear the gospel. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't discount that there's been churches that have been awful, but the bulk of evangelical churches, I think are incredibly hospitable. And I just, I question whether or not that narrative is even true.
1: I do too. I do too. And, and to me, it's very reflective also of what we've heard around the purity culture debate that you go, yes, you know, I, I am not saying that everything that came out of purity culture was great and that some things weren't overplayed and stepped beyond the bounds of the Bible. I think that we did see that, but I also think that this is being wielded as a way to manipulate and, you know, I, and you go, okay. So, so the, um, Exodus, the, what was the name of that ministry? The, the uh, Exodus anyway, international. Yeah. Like the ex gay ministries where they were going to try to turn people straight. Yes. I think that, you know, some things were off there theologically doctrinally But I also don't think that they set out to hurt anybody. I, you know, I don't think that there was an intentional desire to harm people, just like I don't think there was with purity culture. I think that they were sort of reacting to an overwhelming movement in the culture. And now those possible overcorrections are being used as a way to say, now to make up for the overcorrection, just allow this flood Mm -hmm. of um, affirmation of sin to come into your church. And yeah, so I'm with you. I go, I, I, I struggle to see any specific stories of, okay, describe to me this harm. And maybe that's the journalistic work is I, when I look at these things, I kind of want to say to like Andy Stanley, okay, explain to me um, specifically what you said when these people came into your church and said, we're going to, you know, be LGBT affirming. How did you tell them no? We don't follow up on that. Because if you ask for specifics, they very rarely will give interviews. They'll make those sort of cagey statements. And so that's another thing, yeah, that I would wanna know. Can you be specific with me about the harms that you experienced? Because it's just sort of this general miasma that we all accept that harm was done, but we Mm -hmm. don't know what the harm was. Trauma occurred. What was the trauma? Right.
0: The the Bible was preached, you know?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that hurt my feelings. I mean, I don't know. I don't wanna discount that people experienced harm entirely but yes i i feel that this card has been way overwielded.
0: <laughs> yeah and i think you know I, I i have so much sympathy for pastors like there, i i feel like pastors today are asked to be experts on everything and so we we've we've kind of you know, we kind of look to our pastors to oh, give me an answer how do, how should i think about this and and so pastors they can't be experts at everything and so i think these these parachurch organizations like TGC and you know, others um, desiring God, um, while they do good work, they become kind of this, I don't know, kind of off the shelf. Uh, here's here's your position. And so pastors right, just kind right. of reach for that and like, oh, okay. Yeah, here, this is what. And so this whole breakdown of not vetting and like, yeah, that, that ministry sounds good. I, let's slap an endorsement on it. It has so many like downstream effects as pastors, like that trust these organizations, like yeah, well, TGC endorsed it, so it must be fine, and and right. there's just not any investigation to see like what they actually teach, and I think we've got to be become much more, um, I don't know, just rigorous in in what we are allowing into our churches.
1: Yeah, absolutely agree with, and I think that's how revoice happened. Is I think you had a lot of people go, well, these very trusted voices are good with it, so I think it's fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and we've got to get better about. Like it or not, you have to apply wisdom. You know, a yeah. if a homosexual couple shows up at your church, it could very well be that they are seeking God, and you want to welcome them, and you know, let them hear the gospel and treat them kindly the way that that Rosaria, um, that Kent uh, or Ken Ken Smith did uh, yeah. for Rosaria. Yeah. But you also have to apply wisdom because it could be very well that a homosexual couple shows up at your church with their little trans child in order to kind of force the issue so that they can bring a lawsuit or whatever. And so like it or not, you have to apply wisdom. There is no like one size fits all solution to this.
1: Well, and it's funny because you look at the uh, Christ model in the Bible and you go, sometimes he said things right off the bat to sort of challenge you. Are you seeking? So this, this, this approach of going, Let's not say what we really believe about this in case they are seeking so they don't turn away. I, I don't see that scripturally. Mm -mm. I go, I actually see Jesus all over the place doing the opposite. Oh, you want to follow me? Well, here's what I'm going to require. You still in? And a lot of times you saw people walk away, but the people who were truly, truly searching continue to follow and search. So, um, you know, when I look at that model again and again, I go, I don't see where you guys are getting this, that the way to witness is to hide what we believe. Right.
0: Yeah. Someone should write a book about that. (laughs) Someone should. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, this has been, I think, uh, really helpful. Um, It's a lot that we could get discouraged about just because these are dark times and a lot, a lot happening. But what's something that gets giving you hope right now?
1: Well, I mean, probably the biggest thing is that, you know, you and I are having this conversation. I see people who are, you know, much... um, more profound and knowledgeable and smarter than I am talking about it now. I mean, Denny Burke is doing really great work. I mean, Al Moeller, you want to talk about people who go, there's a credible voice. I think when Al Moeller started talking about the Andy Stanley situation, um, I feel very encouraged by how many people are starting to really sound the alarm bells now and say, no, we're not going to allow this to happen. Um and again, on the PCA side, I think you've seen a lot of Presbyterians, I think they finally I'm not Presbyterian. So again, don't come after me if I'm screwing up the order of things. But they they eventually got what are they called? They're not laws. They're I don't know. Resolutions. Resolutions. <laughs> they got these resolutions passed in their denominations to say we're not going to allow same-sex identifying pastors or, you know, whatever um, these ordinances were in their denomination. And so people are starting to address it now. So I think that's really good. And then Maybe the most encouraging thing for me as I've been researching and writing on this topic was ironically to look back in history and go, this has happened before. It may not have been on this specific topic, but you know, whether it was Machen or whether it was, um, frankly, Marxist infiltration in the, you know, thirties and forties into mainline churches, these things happened and the church Always survives it and thrives beyond it. So, you know, you may leave those denominations, but this is not going to decimate the church. The gates of hell aren't going to stand against it. And that's what always encourages me is to look back in history and go, well, those are now dead, dwindling churches. The real Christians went somewhere else. And if that's what happens, then I have no fear that, you know, this is going to destroy the church. It won't. Um, and so I just encourage people, man, look back at the history, look back at even I, the 40s and 30s, 40s and 50s, watching what the communists attempted to do with mainline churches and um, how, yeah, it it destroyed (laughs) destroyed those denominations, but new great denominations came out of them.
0: Yep. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, Well, where, uh, where can people find your work?
1: Daily wire, of course. Um, I'm on morning wire several times a week. I, um, you can always find me on Twitter. (laughs) I'm (laughs) on Twitter way too much at Meg Basham. Um, so Morning Wire, Daily Wire, Meg Basham, hopefully a book coming out soon. So I'll keep everyone posted on that.
0: Yeah, I can't wait for that. Well, thank you so much, Megan. This has been, uh, I think a helpful conversation.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: That's our show for today. Big thanks to Megan Basham for joining me for this conversation. Hope you found it helpful. If you'd like to follow her over at Twitter, there'll be a link in the show notes where you can, uh, follow her and find some of her other work. If you, if you haven't listened to my episode with Rosaria Butterfield, also be a link in the show notes where you can listen to that. Uh, if you find this content helpful, um, do share it with a friend. I think, um, you know, these are issues that uh, the church should be aware of. So hopefully uh, you will, uh, if you're thinking of someone who needs to hear this, you'll go ahead and send them uh, a message about it. Uh, if you're listening on um, podcast, uh, ratings and reviews over at Apple. Uh, podcasts are always helpful and appreciated. If you are watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit like and subscribe so you don't miss future content. We will be um, back soon with new episodes. So until then, I will talk to you soon.